today's uh, first reading is from Genesis uh, chapter four, oh no, chapter twelve, and it's verses one to four a. You can find it if you want to follow it in the Bible on page thirteen of your Bibles. The call of Abram. The Lord has said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. This is the word of the Lord. Gospel readings from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God was not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Shall we pray? Lord, open our hearts to hear your word. May we go where you are calling us and follow where you are leading us. In Jesus' name. Amen. As some of you probably know, I'm a big fan of superheroes. In particular, I'm a big fan of a team of superheroes called the Avengers. 
The Avengers, in case you don't know, is a team made up of lots of different superheroes with lots of different powers and abilities. And they're known as Earth's mightiest heroes. And central to the team is a hero called Captain America. But what makes a hero? Where did the story of the Avengers begin? The film Captain America, the first Avenger, tells the story of the origin of Captain America and ultimately of the Avengers. And I was hoping to show you a short clip from that film this morning. Uh, unfortunately, the technology didn't want me to show you a short clip from that film this morning, so I'm just going to try and describe the situation instead. So it's said during the Second World War, a scientist called Dr. Erskine developed a process to turn a person into a super soldier. A group of US Army recruits were given a series of tests to decide who would be the first to undergo the process to become the world's first superhero. And the candidates included one selected by Dr. Erskine himself, who seemed a somewhat unlikely choice. So you've got two candidates. There's Hodge. He's the ultimate soldier. He passed every test. He's physically very strong. He's got all it takes that you would think to make a good soldier. And then we've got Rogers, Dr. Erskine's choice. Rogers is small and sickly and weak. He's been the last over all the assault courses and all the different tests. But Erskine wants to choose Rogers over the much more qualified Hodge. The general in the army is surprised at this choice. He says, Hodge has everything you need. Rogers is weak. The tests are going to involve him having an injection. And he says, if you put a needle in this boy's arm, it's going to go straight through him. But this, the scientist is convinced. He says, I see something in this, this young man that, uh, that you don't see. And the general, to try and prove a point about what it takes to make a real soldier, picks up a grenade, throws it amongst the candidates, and yells, grenade. Hodge and all the other candidates run for cover. But Rogers throws himself at the grenade, covering it, telling everyone to get back. And there's a pause. And the grenade doesn't go off. Rogers looks up and says, is this a test? The scientist smiles as he looks at the general. And the general, seeing that the point has been proved, turns away, saying merely, he's still skinny. Rogers didn't seem the obvious choice to be the world's first super soldier. Of all the candidates, he's probably not the one you would have picked to defend you from harm. Most people would never have given him a chance. But Dr. Erskine saw something in him that others could not see. And in the end, it was Steve's willingness to leap into action, to do what was required of him, no matter what the consequences, that made him the perfect choice. Today's readings give us an interesting insight into the people God calls, and what we need to do to receive God's blessing, and be a blessing to others. In our Old Testament reading, we meet Abram, before he became known as Abraham. And God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. So this is the person God has chosen to be the father of a nation that will be the followers of God, and that will make God known in the world. Presumably, there were other people God could have chosen. So why choose Abraham? On the face of it, Abraham seems like a pretty terrible choice. You may have assumed that this great father of the Jewish nation had always been a devoted follower of God, 
But in fact, the Bible tells us that Abram's father had worshipped other gods. It's likely that Abram had been brought up in that tradition. There's no indication that Abram had been seeking to know God when God's will was made known to him. So this was not someone who had proved himself to be faithful or righteous in any way. There's also one fairly significant obstacle to Abraham fulfilling God's plan for him. Abraham is already 75 years old, and he and his wife Sarai have been unable to have children. Whatever other qualities God may have required for the great father of the Jewish nation, simply being a father seems to have been a rather key point. How is Abraham going to be the father of a great nation if he doesn't have any children? It's hard to see how God could have picked a less suitable candidate. So why did God choose Abraham? The answer is a simple one. It's in the final verse of the passage we heard this morning. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. That was the thing that God could see in Abraham that others could not see. His faith. Confronted with the one true God, possibly for the first time in his life, Abraham listened and obeyed. Abraham didn't question. He didn't doubt. He didn't take the easy option of staying in the comfortable place he was in. He left everything behind to enter the unknown, trusting in God's promise. More than anyone, he must have understood how improbable God's promise sounded. But Abram believed in the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In our New Testament reading, we met Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Now, it can be easy for us to think of Pharisees as the bad guys. When we read about Pharisees in the Bible, they tend to be religious pedants who oppose Jesus. That's probably the impression you have of them. But it's important to remember that the Pharisees were actually people who were really seeking God. They were the religious leaders who saw that many people had turned away from God and were trying to teach them to live according to God's will. They had established synagogues where they taught scripture and had brought many believers back to their traditional ways. They strongly believed in keeping God's commandments. Nicodemus is obviously among the most respected of these religious leaders. He has come in search of Jesus, having heard about the miracles he has performed. He calls Jesus teacher, and he says he knows Jesus has come from God. Well, this all sounds very promising, doesn't it? Far more promising than Abraham. And God made Abraham the father of the Jewish nation. Surely God will bless Nicodemus, and Nicodemus will be a blessing to others. In fact, Jesus doesn't seem that impressed by Nicodemus at all. Nicodemus has come to Jesus to say that he has seen God at work in the things Jesus has been doing. And Jesus' response is, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, that's not quite the response Nicodemus was expecting. He's confused. Sorry, what? Born again? I don't understand. He's trying to figure out the mechanics of it all. Well, I mean, I'm a lot bigger than I was when I was born. I'm not sure this is going to work. Well, of course, that's silly. We all know what Jesus meant, don't we? Do we? 
The concept of being born again is probably one we're familiar with in church. But I don't mind admitting it's not one I find easy to understand. It doesn't seem that unreasonable for Nicodemus to ask Jesus to explain a little. But Jesus simply tells him, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Adding, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Good. Well, that's all clear then, isn't it? If you're still a little confused, don't worry. So was Nicodemus. I can almost picture the look on Nicodemus's face as he feels his grip on this whole conversation slipping away. How can this be? he asks pathetically. To further illustrate his point, Jesus refers to a story from the Old Testament. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. Aha, now we're one step ahead of Nicodemus, because we know something that Nicodemus could not have known. When Jesus talks about the Son of Man being lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him, we know he is talking about his own crucifixion. This is the heart of the gospel. But what was that about Moses lifting up a snake in the wilderness? This is a reference to an incident described in the Old Testament. Moses had led the people out of Egypt, and they were on their journey through the wilderness to the Promised Land. As often happens in the Old Testament, the people started complaining. This time, it's mainly the quality of the catering that seems to be bothering them. So they start cursing Moses and cursing God. But then they find themselves being attacked by venomous snakes. Many people are killed by snake bites. And with their lives at risk, the people turned back to God and asked Moses to pray to God for them to be saved. God tells Moses to make a snake out of bronze and to put it on a pole. Moses does so. Anyone bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and live. You might not have been familiar with that story, but Nicodemus certainly would have been. It's in the book of Numbers, part of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, which form the Jewish law. As a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have known every word of the Pentateuch, inside out. Jesus knew that. And that's why he treats Nicodemus in a way that may seem harsh to us. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Jesus sees the things that others don't see. Nicodemus may have seemed like someone who was on the right path, but Jesus could see beyond his false humility. Verse 2 of the passage we read tells us that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. If he was so certain that Jesus had been sent by God, why would he only visit him under the cover of darkness? This suggests he was more concerned with protecting his reputation among his fellow Pharisees than with seeking God. When Jesus talks about being born again, this shouldn't really be such a strange concept to Nicodemus. What Nicodemus is really struggling to understand is why he needs to be born again. Nicodemus believes that he was born as one of God's chosen people, and that by studiously observing God's laws, as he has done, he can remain righteous and earn his own salvation. 
Jesus uses the story of the bronze snake to explain to Nicodemus that the first thing he must do in order to be saved is to acknowledge that he needs to be saved. He must see that he too is being poisoned by sin's venom and that only by looking up and seeing the Son of Man before him can he be saved. Nicodemus came to Jesus thinking he knew it all. Jesus is teaching Nicodemus that although he may know the scriptures inside out, he hasn't understood them at all. The next verse, John 3.16, is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What's interesting is that it's not entirely clear whose words they are. Some versions of the Bible include them in Jesus' words to Nicodemus. Others have them as John's words. In the end, it doesn't really matter. Either way, they're at the heart of what Jesus wants to teach Nicodemus, and they're at the heart of what John wants to teach us. They are at the heart of the gospel. It may seem like Jesus is being a little harsh with Nicodemus, but verse 16 reminds us that his sacrifice would be an act of love that would save all who believe in him. Jesus wants Nicodemus to be saved. The reason the conversation Nicodemus has with Jesus is so difficult is because Nicodemus makes it that way. The good news is that Nicodemus gets there in the end. Later in his Gospel, John tells us how Nicodemus stood up for Jesus when the other Pharisees were trying to condemn him, and how he aided Joseph of Arimathea in the burial of Jesus following the crucifixion. It's easy to become like Nicodemus, trusting in our own righteousness instead of fixing our eyes on God. But if we simply put our faith in God, as Abraham did, and go where God calls us, we will receive God's blessing and be a blessing to others.